0: In a world where there are many conceptions and many times misconceptions of love, negatively, many people will say that love is, and I just jotted down a few things, you could add more, but in a negative sense of a misconception of love, many people would say that love is a feeling alone. And while love does involve our feelings, it is also more than just a feeling. Many other people would say that love looks like tolerance. The the attitude behind this would be, show me you love me by telling me what I want to hear. Show me you love me by doing what I want you to do. Show me you love me by acting the way that I think you should act. And then many times, and as we've seen in our culture, when you don't do those things, there's, there's actually a response of intolerance. Many other people believe that love is self-indulgence. Give me whatever I want to show me that you love me. If you really love me, you are going to indulge my desires. And in reality, this isn't pure love. This is self-love. But then there's also positive conceptions of what love is. Uh, you don't have to simply be a Christian to have to have also good conceptions of what love is. I mean, God has given us common grace. General principles in our world that, that, that saved and unsaved grasp. Some of those positive conceptions of what love is, is that love is commitment. That love is not simply a feeling, but it is also a, a commitment to another individual. Love is self-sacrifice to give yourself to meet the needs of someone else. Love is also truth-bearing. That love and a right conception of love is that love is truth-bearing. Love tells the truth. Love does not compromise. It doesn't compromise truth. So, whether we have positive or negative conceptions of love, what we have to realize this morning is that we fall far short of the full meaning and expression of love if our idea of love is not God-centered. So, even those good conceptions of love and in God's common grace, even those that are, that are unbelievers, can have right conceptions of love, but even those right conceptions of love fall far short of the full significance and meaning of love if our love and our viewpoint on love is not God centered. What happens is we settle for a limited conception and expression of love when God is not at the center. You see, true love has to be defined by God. And true love has to have God as its source. Because in the passage that we read this morning, what does 1 John 4, 8 say at the end of the verse? God is love. That's a huge statement. God, in all of His person, Is love. Just to let this thought sink into our minds and into our hearts this morning, I want to share with you what what one individual said, and I thought it was very true and very eye opening. They said this To comprehend the sweeping character of the statement, God is love, substitute the name of anyone you know, your mother, Pastor, friend, a well-known Christian, or hero of the faith, or even yourself. Substitute that name for God. Few are the people we would describe simply with the word love. Mom may be the most loving person you have known. She may have shown you what mature, self-giving, genuine love is like, but no matter how full, rich, and steadfast her love, the statement, mom is loving, can never be changed into mom is love. For love does not characterize her as it characterizes God. Let that sink into your mind. The most loving person that you know. You would describe them possibly as a very loving person. Blank is loving. But none of us could describe those individuals like we see in 1 John 4.8. Blank is love. Why? Why? Because love does not characterize the whole of any individual person. Love, no matter how loving you are, love is not perfectly displayed in every part of our being like it is with God. God is completely and perfectly love itself. God is not simply loving. God is love. And this morning, I want to consider what love is in light of who God is, if God is indeed love. And what I want you to see this morning is I want you to see just how loved you are, and I want us and you to also see Your great calling as a completely loved individual to likewise be loving to one another. See, by looking at God's character and actions, we can truly say, as the title of our sermon this morning, this is love. And we're going to be looking today at verses 7 to 12 that Eric read this morning, and oftentimes, when we read this passage, the biggest thing that stands out to us is the first phrase in verse 7 Beloved, let us love one another. And that is a true statement, and we're going to look at that statement. But our minds so quickly go to, okay, what do I need to do? And then we try to do it out of our flesh that we forget the very foundation of out of which that love is to flow. So this morning we are going to look at three aspects of true love. Verse 9 we're going to see that love has been revealed. Verse 10 we are going to see that love has been defined. So we are going to start actually in the middle of this passage and then we're going to broaden our gaze this morning And we're going to look at verses 7 and 8 and 11 and 12 and see how love is displayed. So the key thought, the key truth that I want to bring you that I think that this passage shows us this morning that the Apostle John is showing is this, that we are 100% loved by God And can now love others out of the fullness of His love. We do not love out of a vacuum, folks. We don't simply choose to show a God-mirroring love. We are not God. God's love has to flow through us if we are going to show this kind of love. So let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, I pray this morning that You would minister to our hearts. Father, show us who You are. Lord, for You are love. Lord, I know myself, I know the individuals in this room... One of our greatest misconceptions is to struggle believing that You are indeed love. And many times that's because we have wrong ideas of what love is and of what love should look like, Lord. We're like uh, individuals who are are saying love is seeking all of my good and my ideas and my selfish aims. Lord, on top of our own unbelief in our hearts we have the enemy who loves to deceive us just like he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden to doubt God's character to doubt that God was truly loving and was withholding from them Lord I pray that today that you would be at work as your word is proclaimed in a way that only you can We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to start reading here in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, if we are going to begin to realize what true love really is, we must look to God who is love. And in verse 9, we see love that is revealed. Love has been revealed to us from God. Now I just want to break this apart really simply for us this morning and to provide some thoughts that we can take from God's Word. I see first of all in verse 9 the directness of God's love. Have you ever had somebody that kind of hymns and haws and and? and and beats around the bush, and you're trying to put together what they are really meaning. It's kind of an indirect approach. Not so with the love of God. God's love is very direct and very straightforward. You see, the beginning of verse 9 says, in this... The love of God was made manifest among us. In this, or by this, or in this way, the love of God has been made manifest among us. You see, this verse tells us that God's love is not left to the imagination. Right before we get to verse 9, the phrase that I've been really uh, repeating over and over again, verse 8 It says, God is love. Now, what if if John just stopped there? Now, we would know from the rest of Scripture why God is love and what love looks like, but John doesn't just stop at verse 8 and say, God is love. He continues and says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. You see, God's love was revealed. It was displayed. It was a direct love, clearly displayed and not left to one's imagination to wonder, well, how is God love? Many times in our relationships, before you know it, a husband, a wife can very quickly lose sight of when the last time You've told your spouse, I love you. In fact, think about that. When was the last time? I see Tim just whispered into Kim's ear. That doesn't count. (laughs) When is the last time you told your spouse you love them? Parent, when is the last time you told your child you love them? Or, or, Or child, when is the last time you told your parent you love them? like the story, uh, and probably you've heard it before, the, uh, a wife was highly doubting her husband's love and, sa- and said, one day, you just don't love me anymore. He said, well, why would you think that? I do this, I do that for you, I do that. Well, you never tell me you love me. And the husband replied, well, I told you on our wedding day, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> that doesn't count. That's not right. But how many times are we left wondering, does so and so really love me? And man, let us not be the, the, the type of friend. Let us not be the spouse. Let us not be the parent or, or uh, that, that makes another wonder, do you love me? And many times, even by Saying, I love you, the actions are then void of proof of that. How many times are words empty because the actions betray the words? But God's love is not left to the imagination. God clearly has set His love on His people. You see, God's love is not left to the imagination, but also God's love has clearly been revealed to the world. It says, the first part of verse 9 says that it was made manifest. It was as clear as day. How was it, is, is it as clear as day? As we're going to see later, it was as clear as day through the sending of Jesus. Jesus. God's love was revealed and broke through to the messiness of this world. But then I, we, as we continue to read, this love was specifically made manifest among us. You see, we are the recipients of God's redeeming love. Today, if you are in Christ, you can know God loves me because His love has been made manifest to me through Christ and the life that He's given me, as we will see. Ephesians chapter 2. What a glorious passage. It says, but God who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. If you have come to Christ and you have turned from your sin and you have looked to Christ to be the one and only Savior and Lord of your life, these two verses are true of you. No matter what the depth of your circumstances today are, No matter what is reeling through your mind, even as I preach, and it's hard to even pay attention, did you know that there's even spiritual warfare going on when the word is declared from the pulpit? Satan loves to get us thinking about all of our troubles and worries and things we got to do. That's spiritual warfare. No matter all of the things that are going on right now, if you are in Christ, you have been saved by grace. And that grace is pouring over you and is abundant in your life. And it's not because of us, it is because of God who is rich in mercy. None of us were deserving. What a miracle it was that the love of God was made manifest among us. Completely undeserving. Failing the Lord all the time. All of our flaws. And God's love has been revealed to you. This is the directness of God's love. God says to us through His Word, through the person of Jesus, through what Jesus has accomplished, I love you. But we not only see the directness of God's love, as I mentioned, just words of love, Are nothing without action. The second part of verse 9 shows us the demonstration of God's love. What does it say in verse 9? How was God's love made manifest to us? That God sent his only Son into the world. The demonstration of God's love has been shown to us that God sent his only Son. This is a full expression of divine love. That God would send His divine Son, His only Son, His unique, the only begotten Son, He would send into the world to gather a people to Himself. This word sent is the the word that we get the word apostle from. This word means sent by God with a mission. The term only Son, it it, it denotes, it means the uniqueness and the quality of who His Son was. The uniqueness, the quality of the sacrifice. And the uniqueness, the quality of the sacrificial act of love. We get glimpses in the Old Testament of where there was this type of sacrificial love that was made, but how this example of sacrificial love in the Old Testament fell so far short. If you have a marker in Genesis 22, I want you to turn there. Many of you are familiar with Genesis chapter 22. It's dealing with when Abraham goes up the mountain to sacrifice his only son. In fact, I was just in this passage. This is one of the passages that we will be teaching from when when, uh, the teaching team goes to Ghana. Notice Genesis 22 verse 2. God calls Abraham, and what does he say in verse 2? He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. What a request! This is the son that's been promised for years. And now God says to sacrifice him. Notice the wording here. Take your son. And then to heighten the request. Your only son. And then almost like like when you kind of have that bruise and someone just kind of puts... Their fist in that bruise. I, I used to, when I, I was a kid, I used to get shots, and you know your arm gets all sore. You know what my brothers would do to me, right? Slugfest where the shot is. To even more heighten the ante, whom you love. I mean, don't we see Abraham's heart here? Abraham adored Isaac. Loved him with such a special love because he knew this child came from God. Only God could have given them a child in their, own, in their old age. And it was his son, but not just his son. It was his only son. And not just his only son, but the son he loved dearly. And if we jump down, and I just want you to get a feel for this passage. Jump to verse 6. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. You get any word imagery that has its fullness later in time in the New Testament? Takes the wood, lays it on his son. Does that remind you of something? We see echoes pointing to Christ all over this passage. And he took his... In his hand, the fire and the knife, so that the the emotion of this language, so they went, both of them together. Here you see unity of father and son. And the father knowing he is going to have to sacrifice his son. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, and here again, relational language. Here I am, my son. Wow. And Isaac, in, in, in total ignorance, says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And here's something that Abraham, who didn't know the end of the story here, said such a truthful statement and how this statement should be should bring us joy and, and weeping, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Do you get the emotion in this, pa- in this story, in this passage? quickly keep reading when they came to the place of which God had told him Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son so let's remember who exactly Isaac is in this story his own son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And then it says, he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld. And here we have that language again, your son, your only son from me. You see, folks, in just a veiled, limited way, we see the enormity of the sacrifice that God would not withhold from Himself. God would perfectly fulfill what Abraham only mirrored. The unity and the love between God the Father and God the Son that human relationship of Abraham and Isaac was simply a small reflection of the fullness of love between the heavenly Father and the heavenly Son. And while God would spare Abraham the pain of offering His own Son, God would not spare Himself the sacrifice of offering His divine Son. And that's why John 3.16, a verse so many of us are familiar with, says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave, and here's that language again from Genesis 22, His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So in light of looking at this, can I ask you what greater demonstration of God's love could He have given you outside of His Son? Oh, well, it would be really good if this problem went away. Well, it would really be good if I didn't struggle with this health issue. It would be really good if I, if I didn't have this or that or I did have that or that. What are we gauging God's love on? Are we so limiting the love of God that we are making God a temporal love, we're actually diminishing in our minds His eternal love that has been for us from eternity past and will continue to be for us into eternity future. I mean, that's what Satan wants to do to us, folks. He wants us to, to, he wants to limit Our view of God. When God said to to, to Eve, Did not not God say that, uh, you know, uh, not to eat this fruit because if you do, you will be just like God? And caused Eve to doubt for a temporal satisfaction. You see, God. God's demonstration of His love is in His Son, Jesus. And He sent Jesus into the world, the place of our deepest hurt and dilemma. It says in verse 9, God sent His only Son specifically into the world. He sent His Son into the brokenness, into the sin, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed His glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus broke through the darkness to shine the light of God, which is full of grace and truth. There is hope. You may not feel... God's love in your life, in your situation. But we have ample evidence in Scripture that God meets us in our deepest needs, in our greatest brokenness, in our worst frustrations, because God was not hindered from sending His own Son into this broken world. Our assurance, our strength of faith comes from Jesus. And what has been the purpose of God's love? This love that He has so clearly revealed. At the end of verse 9, it is this. So that we might live through Him. The purpose of God's love is so that we could enjoy His love life that he would give us true life not just physical life but spiritual life life in relationship with god that's characterized as the book of first john talks about characterized as light and not darkness as Union with Jesus and not shame that hides in the darkness. Jesus talked about this life in John 10.10 10, that a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. What Jesus is, talk, is, is not talking about there is just to have health and wealth and an easy life. No, the abundance That life brings what spiritual life brings in union with Christ. In dependence upon Christ, in looking to Him as our sufficiency, that is true life. So folks, verse 9 shows us the first aspect. This is love. Love has been revealed by God through the sending of His Son. And I want to show you a second aspect this morning. What is love defined? What exactly is love? Well, verse 10 starts very similarly to verse 9. In this is love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. If we are going to properly define love, We have to see, according to verse 10, that love is defined by God's initiative. It was not sinners that got the ball rolling. It was not your own appeal, some inner goodness within you that got the ball rolling. No, He loved the unlovable. 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. First John 3, one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God and so we are. This morning you may feel very unlovable and you know what? That's great. Because you're realizing that you have nothing to offer God and that is why God offers you Himself through His Son. We do not somehow become good enough to be able to approach God. We approach God through the person of Jesus. How many times do I and how many times I think do you so often we know this truth with our head, but we shrink back in fear from God because we're looking at ourselves. Later on in this passage, we don't have time obviously to To preach all of 1 John chapter 4, look at it. But later in chapter 4, it says, Perfect love casts out fear, verse 18. Do you truly believe that God took the initiative by loving the unlovable? We shared Ephesians 2. Verses 4 to 6, and I know we're looking at several passages. If, if if for nothing else, for you to look at these verses, cement them in their, your heart through the week. Because every day we forget these truths. This is how unlovable we were. Before we ever get to verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, but God being rich in mercy and, and what he did for us, here was our state without Christ. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we didn't have that life that God sent Jesus to give us. We followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among who it says we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. All of us. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature... Here's our second category. Because we were dead in our sins, we were children of wrath. Under God's wrath and judgment. Like the rest of mankind. Now sometimes this is a hard concept for us to understand. Because if you're like me, you were saved at at a young age. And you don't necessarily have the background of living Life and and and, and uh, falling into to to a lot of these sins that maybe others do, and they have like this dynamic testimony. But let me tell you: whether you were came to Christ as a five-year-old child or a fifty-five-year-old adult, you were dead. Whether you came to Christ as a five-year-old or a fifty-five-year-old, you were a child of wrath without Christ. Now, for some individuals, the fruits of deadness, the fruits of being a child of wrath, manifested themselves in this life in greater ways. But, but don't you uh, begin to think, and, and anyone that's a parent here or who has uh, younger siblings uh, knows this, that the fruits of that deadness and being a child of wrath are manifesting themselves. Whether you're in diapers, or whether you're at, a, at a, the worst place you can think of. The fruits of that deadness may be different in lives, but the reality of the deadness is the same for all of us. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He loved the unlovable. He took the initiative. And He still does today. As our loving Heavenly Father, He still takes the initiative. Not only did He take the initiative, He provided reconciliation. The end of verse 10 In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means the satisfaction. He provided atonement. He provided reconciliation between us and God. This is what love is. Love is God. God is love. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. And this is the truth we must cling to because it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Love has been revealed by God. Love is defined by God. And now, thirdly, I want us to close this morning with the reality that love is now proclaimed by us, His people. I just want to give you four quick kind of points here as we walk through some of these surrounding verses. In verse, the beginning of verse 7, we see a command. Beloved, let us love one another. If you are now a child of God, you have again, you have looked to Christ for this atonement, this satisfaction for sins. It's not just something you say, yeah, I know that's true. It is you have embraced Jesus as your Savior. You are not the Lord of your life. You have made the decision that Jesus is the Lord of my life. Out of God's love is to flow love for one another. This is the command. But this is not a command, as I said at the beginning, that we just somehow eke out on our own. The next phrase says, for love is from God. This is our assurance. I think we can take two ideas from this phrase. Number one, if God is now our Father, we are to mirror that love because God is love, love is from God, and we are called to imitate God. But also, the second truth is that love is from God, that we are not left in this command to somehow say, okay, I better just do this somehow. No, the love that God is calling us to is actually the love that God has provided us with. A sacrificial, initiative-taking love. The love of God flowing through us to others. And then we see the marker of love. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. The end of verse 7, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The marker of our love is is the rebirth, being a child of God, and truly knowing God. This isn't just a knowing God, again, with our head. This isn't just a knowing theological facts about God. This is knowing God that comes from pursuing Him in relationship. This is a knowing that comes from the life that God has given us through Christ, that verses 9 and 10 talk about. That as we walk with God, as we cling to His Word, as we read what is true of all that God has done for us, and and where we stand because of God, as we come to him time and time again in our sins, in our failures, in our frustrations, in our hurts, in our misunderstandings, and we find him faithful and true and kind and patient, and we begin as we mature in our Christian life to know more and more of God and to see that His character is indeed true, His love begins to manifest itself from inward to outward. But I wonder how many people here today are struggling, truly believing that God loves you. And not even that God loves you, but also that God likes you. That God delights in you as his child. That God is actually desirous of you. When you are at your weakest, that's when God, if there is such a thing, I think I speak in terms of human uh, language, that is when God desires most that you come to him the times that we feel the most unlovely. How can we expect to give the love of God when we're not confident in the love of God? It's true in my life. Is it not yours? You see, the marker of love is that love God's love is poured out only from those who have truly been born of God and know Him. If you jump down to verse 11 and 12, it says, Beloved. Again, John is reminding these believers and he's reminded, the, the Holy Spirit is reminding us if we are in Christ, who are we? We are God's Beloved. If God so loved us, we we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. We see here our response to God's love. If God so loved us, which the, the, the verses above show He does, We ought also to love one another. There's the response. Verse 12 can sometimes sound a little out of place or confuse people. It says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. I think one of the senses that we get here, no one has ever seen God. Jesus repeatedly says this in the Gospels. No one has ever seen God, Jesus says, but if you you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. Jesus, the very proof, the very example, the very evidence of the great love of God that He would not spare His own Son, and the words that Jesus said, the things that He did, uh, His sacrifice on the cross were all one with the will of His Father. While we have not seen God We have been given full evidence of God's love. And while no one has ever seen God, if we love one another, we are showcasing the example, however imperfectly, of who God is, just like Jesus perfectly showed us who the Father is. If we love one another, we know that God abides in us and His love is perfected in us oh how we should be people of prayer god would your love do its perfect work in me would it be transforming me would it be perfecting me would i be growing in you god's love is not a passive love of you do whatever you want to do no god's love is a love that stoops down to our level in gentleness and kindness. And He works and transforms us. The book of Hebrews says that as a father loves his children, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. That if God was not at work in our life, sometimes even in hard ways, Uh, There's no even evidence that we are truly his child because what kind of a a parent would not discipline his child? Maybe today, the very thing that you are struggling with, that you are experiencing, rather than being an evidence that God is not present in your life, maybe it is the very avenue that He is seeking to refine you, to draw you, your independent spirit, my independent spirit, draw us to Himself. Maybe the thing you're avoiding, the thing that you're struggling with, God desires to show you through that His love, His care. As we conclude... We are 100% fully loved by God and can now love others out of the fullness of His love. If you've never come to Christ turning from your sin, turning from yourself to look to a rescuer, one who truly loves, pray you do that today the end of the service, you can speak with myself or someone else here. You can come up. we have people that are available to pray with you. I pray that today would be that day. If you are a child of God here, I wonder if we've become numb to the love of God. We've become maybe bitter. We've become disheartened. Let us return to the Father who loves us.